0: Podcast. I'm Steve Smith along with Mark Costello, episode 165. First thing we're going to talk about, we want to give value to the listeners. BS. What did your father used to say about BS?
1: You can't BS an old BSer.
0: We could edit that. You can't bullshit an old you can't old bullshit an old bullshitter. Dennis Vannemer used to call it Caca de toros. Um listeners, I've known Mark almost 60 years. I met him August 10th, 1964. My family moved 150 miles south from one small town to the next small town, Potsdam, New York, to Casanova, New York. So Mark and I are Hicks; so we're not slicks. I've tried to give value. Mark has coached hockey as long as I've coached tennis. Um, one thing that's changed, I think that really hurt sports, was residency rules. It used to be, you live in this village, you lived in this town, you live in this suburb, you had to play and represent where you lived. And then it comes down to the change and you have people recruiting. When you and I were coming up, wasn't any recruiting. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Today, it's not so much recruiting either. It's the parents deciding that, you know, I'm going to go someplace else because my kid's not on the power play. Or I'm going to go someplace because my kid's on the third line. So that's the residency doesn't exist because kids are flopping. I know a kid that played on six different youth hockey programs in seven years looking for something that they want, you know, but.
0: Yeah, I think that the people that are in tennis and granted, we need to talk more about recreational tennis, uh, entry-level adults. But with junior tennis players, I've still people so many times. I've been fired by so many twelve-year-olds. You tell them, you tell them what they don't want to hear, yeah. and when they do go on a search, it's not a national search. They just go right around the corner. And it's not like they're interviewing. They just go to across town and find something that uh, might be music to their ears. But I think a big big difference. Uh, you and I um, are now old. I'll be seventy before you, if I if I can make it. But we're right there together. I'm just a few months older. And now if we reflect back that our parents can say that we had it so easy. In some ways we'll get on the flip side of that, reverse it, the kid, why the kids don't have it easy today. But um, I just think the passion, I know you coached high school hockey for a long, long time, but you were also a youth hockey coach. And even being a high school hockey coach, you were paid peanuts, right? Yeah. So uh, you did it for the passion. I I really believe tennis coaches should find a way to do something on a volunteer basis to help their sport. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I mean, in where we grew up, that's what it was. If it wasn't, I remember a, a parent saying to me that, you know, you didn't think parents should coach their own kids, which, but in youth hockey that if you didn't have parents coaching, you wouldn't have a team. You wouldn't have parents or like the team because there's nobody coaching it. So, um,
0: well, I, that's in tennis. Parent coaching. I'm for. I really am all for it because of the cost. And the kid just needs to understand the re- reality of it. Now, I tell parents many times, your child just needs to know when you step on the tennis court. All right, right now, I'm trying to help you with your tennis game. Just cut it. You know, I think what Maria Sharapova said about uh, her father Yuri, who would scream more than once a day. That I figured out a long time ago, he's for me, not against me. Uh, but that's interesting that the parents. You know, we use the term "bop and shop." Um, coming back to BS, Denzel Washington, everything takes practice, and um, even even <laughs> practice, practice. <laughs> even, even to be a bullshitter, you got to practice. You get good at it. You get good at. It. My father had a great line, and you know, I knew your father. You know, my father. It's it's always fun to say. Tell me some things your father used to tell you. I mean, even what your father would tell me. My father had a great line. Um, the cream comes to the top, so, so it's bullshit if you stir it. With um, residency rules, but I think one thing about residency rules that was a positive is we played house hockey. And then if you're good enough to be on, on a travel team, back in the day, it was house hockey on Saturday. Travel hockey was only on Sunday. And then pretty soon the parents said, well, we'll create our own travel team. You know, that's, that happened to us. That's with, uh, what happens. Yeah. Sheridan. Yeah. So, well, we'll create our own travel that team. That happened
1: to my grandson. He was on a hockey team that, had, you know, good numbers, good group of kids. And then the next year, three, four of them are going for the, you know, looking for the rainbow, I think. So then they didn't have enough kids for a team.
0: You know, for the people in tennis and in all sport, the expression is that the program needs to be bigger than the individual program needs to be bigger than the individual so um when you had residency rules many many factors but one is we don't have pickup sports we don't have whatever do you call it backyard sports sandlot sports we don't have pickup tennis you know that's one thing that we in tennis need to try to brainstorm and go this this pickleball um it has been and i think maybe it's going to be changing where it's not such a casual sport it's kind of just you could play with anybody, and, you know, not being a tennis snob. You know, with the most fun and it's, it's interesting. Great hockey players came from playing shinny. Yeah, you know, just just under out fr- there in fr- the fros- ice, frozen pond, yeah. or yeah. with uh, yeah, it's it's almost like in tennis, I could I could speak for tennis, and you could speak for hockey. Is that it's almost like it's too structured?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I was coaching a squirt team years ago, and we were practicing on an outdoor rink in our village, and I had a an appointment that I had to go to. So I told one of the fathers, uh, you know, hey, just go down there, throw a puck out, fall them and play shinny. You know, they'll have a good time. So I come down there, and this guy's got, uh, you know, two lines, the goalie's in the net, They're standing there doing nothing most of the time, and each individual, one guy goes and takes a shot on the goalie, then another guy goes and takes a shot. It was a complete waste of ice time. The kids weren't doing anything. So I showed up and saw that, and I blew the whistle. They all came over, and I grabbed the puck out of the puck box, and I threw it on the ice. I go, go play, boys. And that's what they did the rest of the night. I just let them play hockey, and they had fun. And they learned their skills. You know, not the technical stuff, but they, they learn some stuff. One thing with hockey,
0: everything reminds me of something when you said that. I had a coach in prep school. The Russian Joe played two games at one time. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. You have to keep your head up, you know, because you somebody's just not even five on five. Now it's 10 on 10. And um, people are not even in pursuit of the puck that you're playing. Um, but ice time. I grew up. My father was an engineer. Hobby, hobby coach. I mean, he was a student of hockey. I mean, you know, big Jim. He, he had that antenna on the back of his car so he could go to the top of the county and listen to college hockey games. He had uh, a TV, you know, you could just go in and just turn it. It felt like the whole house was turning because then it would go right to Kingston, Ontario in, in the village. Hockey we, night in Canada. Yeah. So we moved south and we, but we still got hockey night in Canada. Ice time, court time. You know, what do people do with indoor court time? A tennis court is 7,200 square feet. Now, uh, I always tell people, gee, in Russia, I've been in Moscow many times, and one of the indoor courts is just all gymnastics equipment, and they're making athletes on one court. 7,200 square feet is a huge area. Uh, you, know, you know, obviously, people with the indoor business, they have to make money, and it should be all convertible, so they, you know, if they need to take that court down and have it be for match play. Um, but just, you know, skip ropes and, you know, hitting tees and portable backboards and just what, what you can do. But I grew up with um, the hockey family and we just would sit around and what happens with ice time? What happens with ice time? What happens with court time? My oldest brother wrote 10 books on hockey. One of them, the first one was Dryland Training. I have that book. And not much. Of my mother, I used it. My mother would say, <laughs> "Not much of a plot." But you know, you go to a hockey rink, and even today, you know, or people rent the ice, which is very
1: expensive—five hundred bucks in California for an hour of ice. Wow! Imagine if you're your figure it's skater, two hundred bucks where we are.
0: Figure you skater, know? you need the, yeah. the surface for yourself. Um, but you would think that people would say, "Okay, let's show up, and we'll we'll have an on-ice practice, but then we'll have a parking lot practice." And we're telling people in tennis the same thing. I mean, if I had a penny with inflation, if I had a dollar for every time I told a kid or asked a kid, are you doing a driveway workout? You know, we, we do technical static balance drills in front of a mirror, but do you get out and uh, and do drills uh, in your driveway and just repeat it um, with, you know, you and I grew up where we didn't have enough
1: ice time. I use the Bird Street gym for a, practice once a week when i was coaching a squirt team we would just you know walk through stuff or we'd uh, you know you're shooting stick handling but that was a way to get them practicing because the ice was so didn't have ice availability
0: so, so mark can basically say one thing it's so easy for us to catch up i mean knowing them almost 60 years and catch up in 60 seconds i know you all know that when you get together with someone that you've been with a long time did I call you Mark? That was a
1: mistake. Don't okay. do that anymore. <laughs> I,
0: he calls me Smith. I call it Costello. When he goes to the bathroom, he says, I just have to go take a Smith. But the, the term squirt, can you imagine the tennis player? I mean, you have to ask the tennis people. Um, you know, people have heard me say this. You, you're 12 years old. You're finally a peewee. all pee peewee. And what turned, what turned me in? I am in the peewee tournament. Now I'm going to play in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, which is a big deal. The division before that is a squirt. Now in tennis, it's just the opposite. I'm I'm running the world class group. You know, it's become common common language within tennis is I'm a high performance coach, and people know I'm a wise guy, and I shake hands. I say oh, hi, Joe. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm a low performance coach. No, the uh, governing body of tennis in the United States. I mean, it's since they've been in player since 88 since 87, there's been obviously a revolving door, a lot of different leaders and different staff members. But at one time it was written, don't use the term beginner. It'll make a kid feel bad, <laughs> but it's like swimming lessons. Yeah. I'm a beginner and I'm an advanced beginner. And, you know, I just think that we've complicated it so much. Um, but yeah, being a volunteer, that's what we're trying to do. You asked earlier, what are we trying to do? With these podcasts, um, we, we give out free content um, on a, on a daily basis. We've been doing it on Facebook for a long time. And um, so Mark and I can go back to the listeners uh, and talk about different things. Uh, brain typing. I was introduced to brain typing uh, 30 years ago by Vic Braden. So um, again, Mark and I, we just pull a name out of the hat. Uh, Stevie Pelusio. So listeners, you know, you want to hear us talk about Stevie Pelusio. Who is Stevie Pelusio? Um, ISTP. You know, so Mark, just going through brain types is our own brain types. Uh, I'm duMB D-U-M-B. You've heard of that one?
1: Dumb. Dumb.
0: But uh, yeah, you've called me that before. But with Pelusio ISTP, I mean, now you and I both pretty much invented our average, right? Just average athletes. And Pelusio, he's no different than us as far as the look. I mean, he was so small for so long. And just um, father's Joe, you know, the term father's a class guy. Not referring to his dad, but Pelusio was like like us. He was an average Joe. Five foot nothing, hundred nothing. And uh, both you and I are extroverts. I like to think of myself as a which I've been labeled uh, by an expert, an introverted extrovert. But Pelusio was an introvert. That doesn't mean that um, he was shy. It doesn't mean, extrovert doesn't mean gregarious. It's where you get your energy from. So Pelusio, you and I are getting the energy from the outside. was getting the energy from the inside. Calm, cool, collected. It's amazing how many tennis players are great. Great tennis players are ISTPs. So I have a uh, my late brother, Pat, he was an extrovert. Yeah, definitely <laughs> capital e he used to tell pelucio we made you Pelusio. Pelusio became a really good goalie. he's all uh, what hall of fame high school hall of fame college and uh the uh, i'll go through the brain type query in the moment since eight where my brain type is just the opposite of his is um i mean, intuitive where Pelusio's in the moment you know, that's if you could pick out one preference from brain typing. Anybody listening to our podcast should go back and listen to the the, the the tennis brain typing podcast we had. So there's positives for both. Intuitives can work. They see, okay, this is what is down the road. If I do this now, I'll be able to do this later. Um, but intuitives get ahead of themselves in the score and start to choke. For Pelusio, uh, you know, just think cross country, which he started late. Hockey started fairly early. Baseball probably started the earliest of the three.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But then ISTP, is a, he's a T, he's a thinker. Feelers can think, thinkers can feel. But he's a thinker. Where you and I were feelers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I didn't think much. <laughs> but no, I mean, if, uh, perhaps if we weren't feelers, we wouldn't both be, you know, you volunteer work in hockey, my volunteer work in tennis. But um, I'm a J. I like structure. You're a P, a pl- easygoing, flexible. Pelusio is a P, ISTP. Um, but it's very interesting that that is a tool. And that's just, just what brain typing is. It's a tool. It doesn't put anybody in a box. But as a coach, you know, you know, you know it's like um, years ago, Harry Hopman, John Newcomb, and Tony Roach were great players and Newcomb was an E ENTJ. and and Mr. Hopman said to Roach, just let him think he's the captain. You make the decisions out there, but just let him think he's making the decisions. And um but why we say made it, made in the driveway is uh having having puck shot at him. He just got in the net. I think he was smart. That was a little guy. He figured out that was a way for him to survive. What comes to your mind when you think of Pelusio?
1: The best story about Steve Pelusio involves your mother when we were playing road hockey in the uh, driveway there and somebody shot the puck and it went through the garage door window. and Your mother yelled out of the kitchen window, Pelusio, you should have had that one. (laughs) (laughs) My mother, uh, Mark Costello,
0: sitting at the table with me. My mother passed away. Call her BF for best friend, is when you cry, how's it go? When you cry, you breathe in. When you speak, you breathe out. So I wrote a eulogy, and I had Mark uh, read it at the, uh, at the funeral. Pelusio, so many stories with, um, I remember being a thinker, playing street hockey, and that was all we did. We had no ice time, spring break. We were playing street hockey every day, all day.
1: Bird Street. And, and
0: we can come back to, you know, with parents. I mean, there's just no parents around. You know, you come back to Vic Braden and Vic Braden's vacant lot. So we grew up with the two twins, the Fowler boys. And I think they were 5'8 by the second grade. Maybe they're still our 5'8.
1: They were grown men at 14 years old. They never grew another inch and they never gained another pound. They were fierce. But I remember Paluccio. I said, hey, we're going
0: to play street hockey. He said, I don't think I want to play. I said, why is that Pelusio? He said, the followers are playing. I said, Pelusio, I got to cover it. I got to cover it. I said, if boys will play, we'll just make sure they're both not on the same team. And boy, would, they would just kill each they other. They would just beat each other. They would just kill each other. But coming back to uh, Vic Braden, uh, Vic, and we have many podcasts on Vic. We dedicated several to him in the beginning of this you've heard me talk about Vic Braden, uh, fantastic human being, world-class, what he, what he did as far as studying tennis. But he was um, ABD, all but dissertation. He wanted to prove in getting his PhD in psychology that you could help a child more you know, on the court, basketball or tennis, on the field, on the pitch, whatever it's called. And they turned him down. And he turned his back on academia. But he had a TV show called uh, Vic's Vacant Lot. And uh Mark would know Barney Hagen very well. as Barney Hagen's van with the it was on ESPN, it was a short-lived series, but when the, the show came on, these the you know, the cameras rolled into the Vic Braden, Cota de Casa tennis facility and Barney Hagan's van, which I lived in, traveled one year playing tournaments, another year traveling around watching uh, people teach tennis. And it was appropriate, it looked like a tennis ball. It was it was yellow and it had two white stripes with uh um but yeah, when you think about people from the past with the, with the brain typing, John Neidoggle's book, um you should look at it. You can go to his website, um braintypes.com. He goes through athletes from the past and then athlete athletes from from the present. Um goalies. Um Peluso is someone that I should stay in touch with. I could just I do have a memory. Um I sent him a note you you worked with his brother richard dick Pelusio. everybody loved dick Pelusio recently passed away and i sent pelucio uh, a text and i sent him another text and we i don't really talk too much about bill cosby anymore but i had read all his books but back in the day we listened to his albums and he cosby had the the skit on noah so Pelusio was noah and i was the lord Noah, how long can you tread water? It, it makes me wonder if if Pelusio would remember that. It's just interesting what 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 people remember what they don't remember, um, or what they want to remember. Oh,
1: no, that's yeah. You know, uh...
0: Back to uh Hamlin, uh, or to Hamlin. Uh, you and Hamlin are the only two people I really in touch with from way back when elementary school. Now I know you're you know, still living right there where we went to school. So obviously you run into all sorts of people, but with Hamlin, something we could touch upon with parents and advice. Well, Mark Hamlin and I went to watch the movie with Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill, John McEnroe's first wife and bad news bears. Cazenovia in New York come out of that little old movie theater and Mark had spent time working as a volunteer coach all these years. Mark has been in tennis forever. Uh, we connected years after I started, and he got into it. Now, I mean, he's been in the game. I, you know, I've been in it almost fifty, and he's uh, so he's forty-five. So this father asked Hamlin. You know, those little kids say, "Hey, coach!" And you know, Mark was a helper, assistant coach, as such a young guy in his twenties. And the father said, "Uh, what do we think you should do for, what should we as parents do for our son, Tommy? Tommy's standing right there. And I'll never forget what Hamlin said, you know, obviously it's been said for throughout generations of hockey. He said, next year, make him buy his own skates. (laughs) Uh, Why do you comment on that?
1: Yeah, I if I wasn't buying my own skates, I'm sure I got uh, started with the Smith uh, used equipment, you know, go down in the basement and find whatever fit you. That's what I wore for a few years um, till I earned my own money mowing lawns or whatever I did. And I bought I bought my own first pair of skates. No, I,
0: I re, um, we did have a basement just filled with hockey equipment. And my brother, Mike, when he wrote a book, the first one, he didn't dedicate it to anyone. And uh, I had no problem giving anybody and everybody a hard time, so I gave him a hard time. And he, uh, I know, the, and the second book, he dedicated um, to grandfather Mikhail Albert Mikhail. He said he bought me my first pair of hockey gloves. The third book, he dedicated to our father, and said, uh, "My father understood the uh, the meaning of youth sports or youth hockey participation. Just get people to play." But back in the day, um, you know, certainly in Casanova, we, you around, you know, kids were were wealthy. I certainly wasn't a silver spooner. But even the wealthy kids back in the day, when they turned sixteen, got jobs. Yeah, and then also too that you had to um, earn money to buy equipment. I remember we had buy our own skates, but like when I went to camp, you would pay for fifty percent of the camp.
1: Tama Shanner. I, I went there for one week on my own bill. I had I had mowed lawns and stuff, so I was able to go to camp for a week. Never been to hockey camp before. It was a great experience. Tama Shanner. had to go to Tamma Shanner. Now you can go across the street pretty much anywhere. You know, if there's a hockey rink in town, there's some sort of a clinic or something or hockey camp. You
0: no, know, I'd be in from a small town and being put on a bus. And I understand that, you know, we're parents today. There was always bad news, but now there's instant news. Yeah. Right. And just remember, you know, going through, like say, the Syracuse uh, or the Buffalo um, Bus Depot and looking around going, whoa, um, I mean, off on a tangent, I remember when Mickey Mantle retired, my father and my oldest brother are big Yankee fans, and I was called Stevie. You know, Stevie's never seen Mickey Mantle play, so we've I was ushered off to New York City to see Mickey Mantle play. And I came home and all I talked about was, you know, there's people sleeping on park benches, you know, things that you would, wouldn't see back where certainly where we grew up. But with, uh, yeah, you say one thing when it comes down to, uh, yeah, I think when I went to hockey school, uh, I remember the first time I was there for two weeks and my mother who got into real estate, she sold a house, called me up. and wanted to know if I'd stay another week and I just loved it. And I know you went for one week, but a couple of people went for two weeks, but they left after one week. And I wanted to stay longer. So I was just saying, definitely from a strange family. Everybody, everybody's here and they want to go home. And, 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 <laughs> uh, not me. I want I, to stay there. <laughs> I, I want to stay. But those experiences, um, you know, traveling on a bus. As a hockey kid, you ride on a bus. I think with a tennis kid, parents should be well aware that when uh, the match is over, they're not riding home generally with teammates. If, if parents in the U.S. were to know what goes on in Europe... Um, I've been in places in Europe where the parents can go, but they, they, they don't take their child. The child goes with the group. They go as a team, you know, that acronym team, everybody accomplishes more. But, uh, that is a problem that, uh, we face in tennis, but coming back to it, uh, something that we've talked about ever forever is that the individual is bigger than the program. You know, it should be, should be the program is bigger than the individual,
1: well, I remember we when we were kids going to hockey games we were in the there was four cars driving a couple of coaches a couple of parents all of us the whole team got in the cars and we went to the hockey game those car rides were some of the best times you know I can remember more of those than about the games but uh, now it's every parent drives each kid to the game or to practice even sometimes
0: yeah you know you uh, used to be Carols and McDonald's Right. They were both both the same. Then McDonalds bought Carols and hamburgers were fifteen cents. And it was community.
1: It was definitely riding cars. Um dependent on who you rode with. I once a a while you would ride with Robert H. Kelly, founder of Casanova Youth Hockey. The late Bob Kelly. He never stopped at McDonald's or Carroll's. We used to have a chant when we were coming down Erie Boulevard <laughs> by the, those. They were side by side. You pull into the yeah. parking lot, the kids could go to McDonald's or Carol's. They didn't, you know, there was right there. We'd start. Turn on your blinker, turn on your blinker. He never he he never turned his blinker on. He just went went by the place with so then we'd start up a chant, put her in reverse, put her in reverse. We I think probably drove that poor man crazy, but he never stopped at McDonald's, I'll tell you.
0: The year I played or the couple years I played where he was a coach, I go from I think Pee Wee to Bantam. And I lived on the same street, right where the outdoor rink was. Chain smoker. And back in the day, we've never heard of such a thing as passive smoke. But happily married forever, lived a long time. Everybody thought he was going to die because he was a chain smoker. He lived forever. 89 years old. So <laughs> um, it was uh, Caleb Sullivan and Steve Scaife. Scarf, yeah, scaife. scaife. yeah. We played with some Scarfs, right? Up in, Up in Oswego. Yeah, hockey.
1: Scarfs for Oswego, skates for Kaz. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> – I
0: I was the smallest. I was on this travel team, and the only reason I was on the travel team is I was, yeah, I was on skates years before other people were, because you know there was a big difference in 150 miles. You were saying earlier before we got on the podcast where you only knew what was going on locally. You had no idea what was going on globally. It just was there was just no no communication at that level, but this. Mr. Kelly was so dedicated is that every Sunday he would just take the three of us. You know, we were good enough to play for the Syracuse team. We'd go to Buffalo or Rochester, and we would just go early and come back late, you know. Um, but yeah, just the dedication. Um, i cer- certainly um had um a lot to say about hockey and tennis and having grown up in a different sport and, and having been in tennis all these years. Residency rules was one thought. How about rules with um, no checking? What are you, what's your thought? They stopped having that as 12 years old.
1: They've ruined my game. <laughs> yeah, your game. <laughs> I could couldn't do anything else but check. You also know? i been had no fun playing the game in those days. But, but that they didn't have that it's, uh, When we were younger, you could check. No, you could yeah, you could do anything. We remember we could we had fist fights in high school hockey. You get five minutes and get back out and go play, you know. So nowadays they will throw you away and yeah, give you, you another game and you kicked out of that game and the next game. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: in tennis um, – I remember he, I, I, a young Canadian, pretty good player. Is he instead of shaking hands, um, I won't tell you his name, but he's a very successful lawyer now. But he went up and he punched the kid instead of shaking hands, and he was out of tennis for a year. And you know they made arrangements where he came and spent quite a bit of time with me when he was. And he, and he couldn't play tournaments. And actually, it was a very, very much a positive for someone. In, in this particular case, uh, just as well that uh, take the time out, take a time out from tournaments. How, how about Matt, games played? Um, when you and I were kids, I went off to prep school where you could play twice as many games, but high school hockey, you could only play 18 games at one point, 18 games plus playoffs, I think, Yeah. where the Canadian yeah. kids were playing 60 games. You know, ten, our, our listeners from a tennis standpoint, you think about match play, how many matches, what's your match count? Today, kids don't really play, call up other kids and play sets and, and kids don't call up adults and play sets. And I really think the responsibility of a tennis director or the front desk or the tennis director overseas, you know, I know game arrangement is probably one of the toughest jobs in tennis, but that, I think that's really gone away too. And it's really become clicky and, you know, people are just such small groups and it doesn't really promote growth. What comment do you have on that?
1: I'm blank on that one, Smith. You're blank. <laughs> can, you, can you even tell me what the question was? <laughs> you have a senior moment, Costello?
0: With people playing sets, so the, the thing, question is, uh, I've had my share of senior moments on these podcasts, is when the kids are really young, do you think it's a big deal to play as many games as possible? Or No, it-
1: because you're not getting your fundamentals, really. I mean, in hockey anyway, if you're playing a game, you know you're, you've got a certain amount of time on the ice, and in practice, you're always on the ice. I mean, I always kept everybody moving. That was my goal. Was I don't want kids standing in line. I want them moving, doing something. And in a game, you got kids sitting on the bench. You got five guys out there playing, and they touch the puck literally. In a game, they might touch the puck for ten seconds. You know, they don't. It's not. So practice is better. You got the puck on your stick all the time.
0: I know. my brother used to talk about this, like the Swedes, you know, and they've produced so many great hockey players, a 10 to one ratio, 10 practices to one game. Vic Edwards in tennis, who coached Ivan Gulagong, four and a half hours of practice for one set and, and give them an equation, give them a formula. But now I think it's, it's, it's so difficult for young tournament players, junior tennis players to find people to play with. So it is a case by case study, but, um, I do think in hockey, this is a question for you. Hockey's, everybody can skate now. When yeah. I f- first went with you to Tam O'Shanner, that was the first time, really for most people in hockey were figure skaters around the ice teaching us how to skate. And I always tell people, those are the people I learned the most from as far as, you know, who could yeah, help yeah. you, who could help you the most is the figure skaters. But with hockey, um, yeah, the skill development is you know, ice time, um, what you're saying about, like during the game, like, you know, the kid, they just go to hit a backboard. Like yep. at the end of the day, how many balls have you hit? And, you know, when you play a match, 70% of the time, the ball's not in play. Approximately 70% of the time. So, now it may sound like an oxymoron, but, you know, kids need to play more more sets, but they also need to hit more balls. And I think it has... It's really changed over time where kids in tennis, they get programmed out. And, um, you know, I just think of all the time where we had free skating time, you know, I was always after my father and he would take us, all I had to do was ask is I knew and we were very close to Colgate and I would just say, Hey, can you give us a ride to go public skating? And I think it was three hours. I mean, it was a long time, two, three hours and it didn't cost anything. It wasn't too long ago, I had a group of Canadians visiting, Canadian kids. And maybe there was a dozen. And one by one, quite a few parents were in the room. One by one, I said, okay, I got a question. Look me in the eye, tell me yes or no. And the question was, and here they are. They've flown from Canada to Florida to work with me. And I go, do you go public skating, yes or no? And it was just no, 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 no. And my, my advice was, you should all know how to skate. Like i say a European kid, not Southern Europe, but Central and Northern Europe, a kid's going to be able to ski, skate, and play soccer.
1: My brother Barry used to go to Canton University. He said in a report, they asked him what he did for hobbies. He said, ski, skate, and go downtown. <laughs> <laughs> was down. It
0: was downtown downhill. Downtown Canton. I don't know, man. It was, uh, um, I remember uh, writing a paper at a Catholic school, and it wasn't taken taken well. His listeners, Potsdam, this were Clarkson colleges, 10 miles away, of St. Lawrence, high school's arrival, the college's arrivals. And there was a shell station, and the people from Potsdam, who was on the way to Canada, it would say, shell, 10 miles. It was, all the time they're taking the S down, it said, hell, 10 miles. And I wrote a small story, a short story about that in Catholic school, and uh, was not was not taken lightly. <laughs> it was it was wrong.
1: They told you that's not the way to.
0: <laughs> yeah, with um, Costello, with playing collision sports, we talked about hitting. Um, how many of the kids all year, as the years went by, in hockey? Had played football. We talked about football last week. Lombardi, and yeah, you know, I think that people that are really into the, the junior tournament coaching would go, okay, I get it. I understand why we need to talk about football. I understand why we need to talk about Lombardi. But as as you went on, how many of the kids played multiple sports? When you when you and I started.
1: Everybody did, yeah. So but, I but, played but, three sports. But, Wasn't but, but, good at two of them, but...
0: But the later stages... Only
1: they more specialized, and hardly any kids played two sports, or three sports, rather. A lot of kids still played two sports, but um, the three-sport three, three sport athlete was a very rare deal.
0: With... Uh- yeah, but again the the collision with as it went on. I mean the kids when you first started coaching, the kids who played little pop Warner or peewee football a little bit better as far as going to the corner, being a little tougher, or did that fade away or
1: I think a lot of it just because of the way the game went, yeah, that they, they I mean they've taken a lot of the collision out of hockey. I guess even at the even at the it, lower level. Especially at the lower they they kinda of teach you to rub the kid off instead of smashing into the boards. I prefer Smash them into the boards, but uh, those days are gone, I guess. So, old time hockey. Well, Cost- Costello's telephone skills are better than mine, but it doesn't mean they're that good. Yeah, right? Mine are not good at all. <laughs> I had to have Yvonne turn my flashlight off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that photo of me skating, I'm like 10 years old with my head down, and uh, you love just bringing that back up. I love I,
1: I can't <laughs> believe I, I didn't bring that down to you. I gotta, uh, with a you know, critiquing it with the head down, one hand on the stick, it, you know. You know, I think you being, thought you were pretty hot. Yeah, I can tell you one
0: time in, in Canada, it was Barry Watson.
1: He, I remember he was at Tamish Shanner. Yes. Yeah, I remember
0: so, him. Uh, yeah. His father ran the place, but he, he, you know, he, you know, elevator ride, he, he made it to the NHL. I mean, if you played one game in the NHL, it's kind of like, I mean, if a kid can play one ATP matches. I mean, coach, a lot of kids have been top 10 in the NCAs, and they certainly haven't played 10 matches on the ATP tour. But anyway, I was chirping away and. Um, I spent a lot of time on the ice and, and I was, uh, t- telling the kid, I was playing defense, what he was doing wrong. Barry Watson said, Hey kid, you know, it's kind of like that thing. Don't throw stones. If you live in a glass house, He goes, hey, you're so bad. He goes, don't tell anybody what to do. <laughs> just, you know, it's kind of like the, the Herb Brooks, uh, you know, the Mike Ruzioni, you know, you have, you, you got so much to work on your, in your own game, something like that. Like, you know, just focus on what you have to be able to do with um mark costello was great we went to the stanley cup playoffs and uh for our listeners for tennis i bring up martin saint louis
1: all the time overtime goal game six
0: yeah we can talk about that but the, when i bring him up is that he has a great quote um it's easy to be the hardest worker you know, being a hard worker is a choice you know i I, you know, I have people visit i have someone who he's now almost 17 and i've known him since he was 8 and and um if i only knew now what i didn't know then and um you know that that it, you know when do people change you know when it's um too late or it finally becomes important to them but i was visiting my late mother and every time I would go and visit my mother, I'd hook up with Costello. A lot of times we'd go to hockey games. But I was there one time, so it was possibly May around Mother's Day or whatever. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, an NHL hockey team in Tampa, they get to the finals. So I tell Costello, okay, I'll go get tickets. I had no idea that what they do now in playoffs, when your team advances to the next round, they start telling tickets as soon as, like, say, you win in game six of the quarterfinals that night they start selling tickets. So I was sold out. So I never tell anybody what I paid, but I walked over and to the arena, with the idea that I was gonna get tickets. And what I did was I got two tickets to game one and two, and then tickets to five and seven. So it had to go seven games. And um, so I take one son to the first game and one son to the second game. But I told Costello when I was visiting, of course, I had to fly back and see if I could get tickets. So I could call, fly back and go, okay, Costello, I got tickets. Tickets to game five and game seven. So you're a carpenter, it's outdoors, and you you have the effort gene. We'll have people try to figure out what that means. effort, <laughs> And you, you got all this work to do. And I remember your wife saying, well, Mark, you, you're awful busy. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. They uh, come back to, you mentioned Bob Kelly before, but, I'll write that down here just to know Bob Kelly. So Costello flies down and and there has, we don't know if there's going to be a, a game six, let alone. We do, we didn't know by the time you bought the ticket, there would be at least a game five, right? Yep. So you come down and Tampa goes to Calgary for game six and Tampa has to win to come back. So there's a game seven and oh, there's a refund and I don't care about a refund. So we had, it was so great to have those tennis kids because at the time, just like we do now, we have a place where people can stay and, and those tennis kids uh, watching you and I watch that game and how crazy we were, we were like, I mean, two little kids cheering for game, that there'd be a game seven, tell them what Martin St. Louis did.
1: Scored an overtime goal, made it for Game 7, and it was pretty – it was incredible. Almost cause, over. Cause it was Yeah, and these kids, though, they were all in there. They didn't want to watch a hockey game when it first started, you know. But as it went on, they got into it. it when St. Louis scored that overtime goal, that room erupted. Me and Smith, man, we were jumping up and down, hugging each other. We were so happy. We're going to Game 7. But all these tennis kids were just – they were ecstatic. It was great to see them all. They were all happy.
0: So Costello has a full head of hair. When I'm up North, his hair's grown out. He's got a full beard. So he shows up, shaved his head, shaved his beard. He's got on these Snoopy glasses. And, um, I said, Costello, you get to give speech. It was a summer camp. I must have had like 60 tennis players there. So Costello's got on a muscle shirt. He's got on his jams. And he's got, here's his hockey guy. He's (laughs) going to, he's going to give a speech to, uh, Group of tennis kids. Uh, in Canada, actually, the, the tennis coaches can swear and get away with it. In, in the United States, the tennis coaches get fired like overnight if you just swear. I mean, it's, we're so politically correct. Sometimes yeah. a little profanity helps. Anyway, so Costello, he gets in front of the group. I have no idea what he's going to say. He he's, comes out. He's, he's probably the- a little bit worried. I got the <laughs> I like, hockey mentality. Yeah, yeah. You know? so I got, the, you got these snoopy, you know, I guess what he's Snoopy's flying an airplane. He got what do you call those goggles you're wearing? Goggles. Goggles. He comes out. He looks left. He looks right. Like five, six times. It, it just people are just staring at you you're like, what is he gonna say? And he goes, tennis, rule number one, you gotta work your freaking butt off. And you, that's that was the language you used. That's like, what I, no, I actually
1: no. said. Freaking
0: butt. Yeah, 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 but yeah. It's not what I was thinking.
1: <laughs> so, number one, freaking butt. I number cleaned eight. it up. Yeah, then he like
0: any good comedian. He pauses and rule number two. Looks left, looks right, and he's waiting. <laughs> he says the same thing. <laughs> you got to work your freaking butt off. So he pauses again. It looks left, looks right, looks left, looks right. These kids are looking at it. He goes rule number three. You gotta work your freaking butt off. And of course, he's got his arms crossed like this, and he pa- <laughs> pauses. <laughs> I think the best part, he goes, "Anybody have any questions?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, best speech ever. That makes me think. Tell us about like your. Uh, didn't you do a, a similar thing with Rule One, Two, Three with tennis, hockey parents, and ice time?
1: <clears throat> yeah, well, so parents are all. I mean, parents are the worst thing, you know, when you're coaching doesn't matter I guess what level it is but they always think they know more than you. So uh, I had a I took over a program or started a program, a high school program in Cicero and there was three different youth hockey programs that were going to be competing for positions on this team. And a, cable, a lady that was involved with uh, organizing the whole program came up to me one day and said, "You have some problem, you have a problem." You know, the this group thinks you're going to favor that group. That group thinks you're going to favor the other group, and everybody's worried about who you're going to favor. So, I was happy to hear that before the, you know, planned uh, parent speech. So the first thing that came out of my mouth was I looked at them. They did, none of these people knew me. I was from Kazanovia, you know. They didn't. I'd never been up there before. They didn't know me. So I s- just said to them, "I go, you people need to understand one thing. I don't care." what you think. <laughs> and I repeated it. I Three said, times. you need to know, I don't care what you think. And I said it again. And then I just, you know, that was it. I didn't, you know, they didn't know what to think of me. I, you know, they were, but I never got bothered for four years. That group of parents left me alone to coach the kids. And it was great. Uh, relationships. I, I coached
0: a, a daughter, Her father played football, I had the football, football mentality. And, I don't have too many of my own own lines, but this father used to stay. And so it's so appropriate many times when, you, when you're when you thinking, you're stinking. But also the, the parents will call up and they want their kid to get more ice time. They want their yep. kid, like you said, on the power play. For listeners, what that means is, you know, when one player goes to the penalty box, so now it's five skaters against four. and having It's t-
1: generally the best, you know, you put your five best players out yeah, there. Yeah, so.
0: the offensive players can score a goal. With, um, Czech hockey, I know I can say a few things about Czech tennis. Um, I only went there one time. I went there to study tennis. I know you went to Czech to play, uh, hockey. What, what's a thought that comes back to what'd you take away from that trip?
1: Well, we got beat all, th- I think we played six games in 10 days and, and, uh, lost every game, um, none of them were really close either but uh my best experience from that was i got to go to the uh, a hockey game involving the czechoslovakian national team versus the uh, russian red army it, so it was in prague and the tension you know the political climate there was awful the communists had taken over czechoslovakia so they were under their control and the tension in that rink was incredible. I had never been to, you know, the best hockey game I ever went to in excitement was the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. The most just intense, the people were, you could just tell they wanted to win that game so bad. The whistling, Europe's, Europeans whistle when they boo. It was ear-piercing when the Russians came out on the ice. And that Czechoslovakian team beat them 3-2. to two. They were dancing in the streets. I mean, this, this was in 1975, I believe. Five years before they were dancing in the streets in Lake Placid. And it was for the same reason. You know, we they they beat the Russians. That was cool. With uh, Yager, number 68. 1968.
0: Yager. That's why he wore 68. Yeah. Um, you know, people, the story is just amazing. I was telling a group of people today that, the USDA years ago did a research project. What's one thing that tennis players have in common is they come over some type of conflict. You know, they're small, they had a late start, a bad start, you know, they didn't have the funding. They had to overcome something. And, um, you know, you know, not from a hotbed of tennis. Um, just so many different things, but with check tennis, you know, a lot of people would, uh, agree with this is that uh, that's where tennis is taught the best of any country. I, mean, I think people would mention Spain, go back to Australia. Um, you know, the, the reason why, I mean, there's so many reasons, just like we talked about why don't kids play outdoors anymore? Why don't kids play, pick up sports anymore. Uh, but one thing in uh, Czechoslovakia is tennis for the longest time. It wasn't an Olympic sport. Now drop won Wimbledon. In 1954, and he defected to Egypt. So a lot of people, you know, and they look at look at it from a historical point of view, they don't remember that he was from, he was Czech. Just like Martin Hengel is Czech, and Martina Narotilova is Czech, and, um, you know, like Roger Federer's uh, wife is Slovakian. You know, it used to be Czechoslovakia, you know, and now that's changed. Now they're two different countries. But um, that tennis was suppressed throughout the iron Block, throughout the Eastern European countries, because it was an Olympic sport, but the Czechs never let go of tennis. And also too, I think, uh, we're talking about Stevie Pelusio, uh, just go back and the ISTP hum- humility. You know, the Czechs, um, they don't draw attention to themselves for the most part. Um, and it's a sport. You know, the first time I ever saw group of tennis players play tennis soccer and i i like to tell people my fault first my fault first you know we tell our listeners to the coach every day play um a little bit of serve and volley doubles you know with you sitting at the table that's just like um pass the puck you don't have to get the puck over the blue line and dump it in you know the, the people who don't know hockey you get the puck you dump it in well now the rink's 120 feet. Is that right? 180. 180 feet. So you, you you have the tennis court's 120 feet. So fence to fence. So you you dump it in and, you know, okay. So um, there's no threat, immediate threat for them to score, but you gave the puck away. And then, you know, tennis kids, they don't serve and go to the net. They serve and stay back. But I, I do think, you know, this, ten, this tennis soccer is you, so we tell the kids play serve and volley, one bounce doubles. Everybody just crashed the net but to put a ball out on the court and say, okay, let's see you just keep the ball going back and forth with your feet. And, you know, again, I understand up north, especially where tennis court time is is expensive, 7,200 square feet of heated and lighted space. You know, I've I've never been in that situation, but I can only imagine being an owner of a facility like that, like, whoa, we have to pay some bills here. You know, you just think of 7,200 7, square feet, heating light space and two people playing singles. That's, that doesn't, doesn't generate a lot of profit. Um, but yeah, the, the checks. Um, um, yeah, it's just amazing the, the success they've had. And you think of a country of 10 million people, but also too, is the exposure. Um, in In some ways it's, it's like the city is, the country is one big city. You get on a train, some of those, a lot of those small European countries. we here in the United States. It's coast to coast. It's 3,000 miles. I mean, hockey's exploded, but it's still not really played in, you know, the majority of the country. It's only still played, you know, around cities. Big and
1: cities. The, uh,
0: in the, the cold belt. The Even snow, in the Northeast,
1: flats. the small community hockey teams are disappearing. It's all become a more of a, you know, the big city, multiple team type things. The smaller communities can't, you know, get the numbers a lot of times to keep a team going.
0: With uh, the locker room and tennis, I tell parents and they look at me, um, I'll go back to one thing about parents. This is a hockey joke that I've shared with tennis people. I learned it. By attending a hockey banquet, What's, where's, where's the best place to develop hockey players? Orphanage, no parents. Uh, yeah. You, know, yep. you know, just, okay, clever enough to take hockey out and say tennis and just make it a tennis joke. But with, with parents, um, the, um, the communication with coaches, like, when they turn 18, they, they want to communicate just with a player. I know some parents that their kid doesn't even have their own, they don't, the parents are reading the kids text messages and reading the kids emails. And I I understand, okay, there's a certain reason to do that. Um, But the communication with the parent and the coach, um, it it, has to get to the point where it's the kid and the coach, but coming back to the locker room, tennis kids grow up with no locker room. So would you say you coach high school hockey in youth hockey and parents should realize in youth hockey that the parents come in. We just had someone here for the second time. They have a son who's just about to tur- turn six. so he's a young kid. And I was telling the dad, you know, in hockey, if you have a five, six year old playing as the parent, you go in the locker room, you tie the kids skates and then the coach says, okay, all the parents out. And but tennis kids grow up in no locker room. So is it sacred? You know, you, you hear, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. He's that line. But whatever happens in
1: his locker room happens in his locker room. It used to be in the old days maybe, but, you know, everything's changed now. So, I mean, I remember um, talking about the parents coming in and tying skates. I was coaching a peewee team one year. That's 11 and 12-year-olds. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I had the mothers coming in and tying the kids' skates. I said to one mother – you dress him in the morning for school and put his sneakers on him? She looked at me like I was crazy, and she said no. I go, well, I think he can probably put his own hockey equipment on too then. You know, I mean, that was the stuff, you, you know. I get to a certain age, in hockey anyway, it's locker rooms closed. You know, the parents are not allowed anymore, you know. That, uh, but it takes a while to get him out of there too. And then she realized, you know, she realized, oh, my God, I'm like dressing my 12-year-old.
0: Yeah. Now coming back to brain typing. So I'm an extroverted feeler. People don't really think of that when they watch me operate. Um, You know, I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be the ENTJ. How's it go? Cannot not lead. But I remember uh, my father was out of town um, on a business trip. And this is back in the day where you're not on a team it's just fundamentals and they're, they're really the young kids get the worst time. You know, I mean, I work, we're looking at 5.00 AM. You're 5.00 AM. You know, I don't think it was 4.30 in the morning, but it was 5.00 AM practice. And I, mean, I remember telling uh, Jean Hewitts and Mrs. Hewitts, and she, my father's there. So I went with her, her son, same age, Mark. And she was the one to tie my skates. And I remember saying uh, to her, I said, they're not tight enough father ties them tighter years later i found out that the looser it is the better but um you know, telling you the type of equipment we had way back when but i remember her just saying tough In so many words She was so polite but it was like well you're just gonna have to go with those skates or not skate and um but i i think it, parents listening to this tennis parents um you know A kid is in tennis, and it's really sad, and and you're not aware of this. I mean, I'm sure I said it over the years just talking to you, is that high school tennis, thank you for all the people that still play high school tennis, but we have a lot of children that are homeschooling, and the level is very, very low. So I used to tell everybody, you need to play high school tennis. You need to play for something that's bigger than yourself. You need to learn to be on a team. But I really dropped that speech because now it's really um,
1: – it's no-cut policy. It's like a picnic. It's, so, not, it's not
0: treated like a sport.
1: Smith, my grandson's a tennis player on a high school team. And you're, I mean, I, I – remember you telling you know, me that, yeah. he's, uh, You know, he's just – it's something for him to do, really. He's not uh, – I've tried to get him involved, you know, to look up your uh, program and stuff. But, yeah, he's it's just – It's uh, not too exciting. And, yeah, <laughs> well <laughs> – neither is watching high school
0: tennis so. <laughs> with, yeah, there's just so many different levels, but with that, the locker room is, um, you know, I think when someone enters of uh, high school as a freshman, they're not, they're not ready for that culture change, but also too, when someone has played years and years of junior tennis, and then they're in a the locker room. Um, it's a totally new experience. So I, it, you know, we'd like to think that we really condition people and we've had literally hundreds. And I think of this, my students, I mean, it gets into the really thousands of kids that have played been developed to play college tennis. And, um, but yeah, my question is, does it stay in the locker room? A little profanity, are you throwing, you know, you can't throw a chair.
1: I one time, uh, great story about, I was, uh, upset with my team's performance, went in the locker room and, uh, picked up a garbage can and dumped it out all over the locker room floor and threw it down on the floor and said, you guys are playing like garbage. And this kid, my captain, starts giggling. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at him, I'm sure like I was going to kill him, and he said, sorry, coach, we learned about recycling in class today. <laughs> so timing's everything, you know, but... Uh,
0: so you had the one coach who said, uh you guys are playing like uh like ten pounds of shit in a five pounds. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yvonne's writing that down. He's gonna edit that. <laughs> that word comes from store high in transit when they used to ship fertilizer.
1: But um <laughs> so, the uh, Hey I learned something today. <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. I learned that from uh from an who who's very uh Dave Squire was um pretty comfortable with profanity uh but no the political correctness um in the hockey world as a youth coach and high school coach uh had to had to uh, i
1: i one time was told by a parent that the only thing the kids were getting out of my speech in between periods was how many times i dropped the f bomb so i had to clean that up you know uh I told the kids. I went in after one game after the after I found that out and and uh, gave the spiel after the uh, you know what they had to do and all that and and at the end of it I looked at them all and I said for those of you who are counting I didn't drop the F bomb once. <laughs> they were they were kind of surprised they knew. <laughs> There's
0: actually on YouTube, late baseball coach University of Texas. I should be able to tell you his name. And he just tears into his players, and he goes, "I know I'm supposed to give you twenty four hours, but you guys are forgetting forget about this loss in the next ten minutes and he just it's just I think people should listen to it and then they went on, and it's it it says the graphics at the bottom, but you know after this tirade he uh the team went on and did so well. I think there's certainly an art to that. I think that uh people rant and rave and swear all the time, but the people never really um, you know, get intense. And then they finally turn it up. They turn it up coming, coming back to, uh, check tennis is, um, the emphasis was once was on skill development and one a comment that I heard not too long ago from a Czech coach was many places. They just do all these drills and they do really intense drills. And the coach is just pumping out balls, pumping out balls. Um, but instead of, okay, let's take some time and you know let's play the game this way. And um, you know just say, okay, you two go play a set and you both have to serve volley first and second serves. You just say, go play a set, but you just give them the directives. I like the thought where the, you know, tell the kids, hey, you're the coach, I'm just the compass. I'm just giving you directions. This is what you're gonna do. Serve on your hand. We're gonna call it attack, counterattack, go play a set. But you have to serve on your hand okay doesn't necessarily have to land in the box, but you're serving towards the deuce court and you just come in you just can't play you just can't come in and hit a winner on that on that feed you have to play in a pro shot so it forces people to um you know play up at the net which is a which is really a, it's amazing even all the way to pro tennis um you know just well go obviously a step a big step below that is college tennis division division one college tennis. Three teams of doubles. It's a safe bet that only two of the only one of the three teams now has players that actually serve in volley. Um I told a young player who's been ranked one in the US. Um, you know, she was here not too long ago, and I go, Do you serve in volley in doubles? She said most of the time. And this young kid that we've coached has a Czech name. It is a Czech, uh, but you know, they're raising and father's raised in Ohio. on our podcast, Rob Krejcik and his son, Austin Krejcik. He's number one in the world. You know, that that kind of stops me in my tracks. You know, not many things. I mean, when I used to talk to Mr. Hopman on the phone, that was like, whoa. You know, know, dealing with Vic and Dennis Vandermeer, these were famous people, but I just, you know, I didn't really think, okay, this is, you know, I wasn't kind of in any type of awe or shock by that, but yeah, he's number one in the world. And uh, just how does that happen? how does that happen and um so many things have to go right but really
1: in the end it's um it's just perseverance it's i think in a lot of sports it's overcoming adversity whether it's in a championship game or you know you you're always going to run into adversity and you have to find a way to get through that perseverance same thing yeah um We've had so many of these podcasts. I mean, that's where
0: uh, we put this course together, Tennis Intelligence Applied. And I thought young coaches would watch it several times, you know, 365 clips, one a day, five minute clips, basically. Um, It's Bill McGowan. I was working for uh, CompuTennis and we were training parents how to train. And there was, you know, world-class players that would come in uh, just one particular time. uh, It was Peter Fleming. And it was in Dallas, and I mean, tennis was really booming at that time. So it it rains, and Bill McGowan had played at Trinity when two guys that were top 10, Brian Godfrey and Dick Stockton, they put a piece of paper on the door, the yellow line paper. They played a set a day, and they just put it on the outside door. And it's obviously not 100, you know, one guy didn't win 100 sets, it's back and forth. They're really good tennis players. They practice four times a day. They practice with the team. One of their other practices was just hitting serves and returns. one of the other practices was um, just playing the set. You know, but this was getting up in the morning, getting, getting before, before class, practicing, practicing before practice and practicing after practice, It's four practices. They both were top 10 in the world. So anyway, Bill McGowan, I had these young guys assisting me because nearby, I ran this program where you get a college degree nearby Dallas and uh, Bill McGowan said, let me tell you a story of adversity quotient is how much can you take? And he said, that's just what they did. They just, they just did that. Another player playing the same conference, Trinity used to be in the Southwest conference. I have that right. Our fact checker. It was, uh, it's really changed. All the conferences have changed, but Harold Solomon, we made a video for his, uh, um, Grandson not too long ago, and he was top five in the world I, mean, I think he's five 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 six small guy um Bud Collins, the late commentator, called his forehand the solid slop, and you know you know the way he played he called him the, he was the moon baller arcing high and deep. his father made him hit three times a week and hit hit thousand balls a row misses in nine hundred ninety nine he has to stop I mean I just love asking people questions and um but with, with Solomon, that adversity quotient, how much can you take? And um, so, but he went to college. He said, I just, I know because of my size. And also too, is that he said, well, you know, you know, people didn't really believe in how I hit the ball. And that really pushed him on, you know, not to have people believe in you. That's adversity. And then with, uh, he said he, he knew he had, to just, he had to do twice as much. I had no, you mentioned, you know, with, uh, one of those Stanley cup playoffs work ethic. Um, Craig Conroy from our hometown in Potsdam, New York to this day, 99.9% of the only kid who's played in the NHL from Potsdam. And I was at a funeral and I asked Huey Hudson who had the rink in the neighborhood and he was Conroy's generation way, way, way after us. Right. And, uh, he said, how did he make it to the NHL? And he said, that's easy. Shovel the most snow. Words, he, who's out there when it snows? Who's out there first? Get the snow off the ice. And um, with, pastor uh give me a question on our podcast. You asked me why we're doing it. We're doing it to try to improve tennis teaching. I'm not sure if we're having much success with um, improving tennis teaching. I hope so. I actually, we are. I mean, I would say that uh, we've gone from using terminology from where you and I grew up. um, Snowball. We used to be a snowflake. Now we're a snowball. We'd like to be a snowman. To be a a realist, I I don't think we're going to be an avalanche. Tennis needs an avalanche though. I mean, as far as teaching people fundamentals. Um, With the podcast, the question for me, I think skating is pretty self-evident if a kid can't skate. You don't even need to ever been around it. You walk a hockey rink for the first time and you're looking at people skate. You can know if they get skated or not. Same thing if a kid can't swim, they look like a drowning fish. But in tennis, anything goes. But don't you think that most people realize that
1: you have to be able to skate? I am a... I'm not a good skater. I was self-taught and I didn't do a good job of it down on Burton street rink. So I, I've got horrible skating technique, you know? I mean, I've obviously improved over the years cause I've been on the ice so much and have, you know, tried to learn how to do it properly. But yeah, it's, uh, if you can't skate, there's no sense playing hockey. Yeah. I think listeners,
0: uh, I tell people and that's, you know, people don't know like, where do I come from? I mean, I think that's important to tell people why you are the way you are. But where I come from is that if you can't skate, you can't play. And for me, if you can't hit the ball, you can't hit the ball. And, but in tennis and our listeners, and I appreciate people listening to these podcasts. When crummy plays crummier, who wins? Crummy wins, but they don't know they're crummy.
1: They think they're good,
0: but they beat crummier. <laughs> so they don't know. And it's kind of like in your world, if, if someone's only played house league hockey, I mean, there's just so many different levels of hockey. You know, my kids, it was not by design. I took them public skating to become athletes. I had no intention of them playing hockey, but they they were on hockey rinks. They said they want to play hockey. I said, okay. So the first year they played hockey, I called up, being early, I called up in October. Thinking, okay, they're still playing football and And I said, well, I'd like to sign my kids up for youth hockey. And they said, it's already started. I go, what do you mean it's already started? And actually it was a blessing because so they couldn't be in hockey that year. So I just put them in all these skating classes, all the skating classes. And, um, you know, little kid hockey. People were, they were to read Martin Black, Black Martin, excuse me, uh, Malcolm Gladwell senior moment. Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book, many books, but he wrote the book outliers. I think it's the second chapter that kids that in Canada, at,
1: you know, age five, they're, they're born in January first, or February. First, first
0: quarter of the year
1: Yeah,
0: that they definitely have a leg up over the same kids that are born in the calendar year. And, and then they get the most ice time and not necessarily people think they get the, the Better best coaching, coaches, but they, yeah. they just get a more intensified program. Um, but I, the Canadians for the longest time, but I, hockey, I, I didn't ask this, I want to get back to it, but hockey, I mentioned everybody can skate in the NHL. I mean, everybody can fly. That wasn't the case years ago. So that's really changed. Now in tennis, I don't think, and you hear me a oh, lot the game is played at such a much higher level. Um, I remember hearing Vince Beatty one time say, well, there's a lot of things that we could still learn from old school players. And you know, the other racket, in fact, they played on grass courts and they played on grass courts that couldn't be covered when it was rain raining, and then they played on spikes and they just didn't want the ball to bounce. Um, but you have people playing on the tour. You know, I would say in this country, Francis TFO, Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, all great players. They've all been definitely in the top 20. It, it might be wrong say Tommy Paul. I'm going to guess, but they, they're all way up there, way, way up there. You know, maybe... Fritz for sure has been in the top 10 TFO. I think he's been in the top 10. They're great, great players, but they're all pretty shaky on the backhand volley. And it wasn't dealt with early on. And, um, but I, I, think that was, um, you know, there's certainly people who lack skills who make it to a real high level in hockey. They're not, not everybody's the best skater, but they make up may make up it for, for in other ways. But, um, yeah, I, I just, and for our listeners to hear me say that, is that um, even though it's professional tennis, it's amazing how many of the very top players have holes in their game. But with that being said, I don't think the word warrior is necessarily appropriate because it's it's really not war. I think we do that too much, hyperbole, too much sensationalism, comparing sport to war But um But they are... Fierce competitors, and generally physical specimens and it may just be through uh physical fitness it may not be through size, but there's there's people that uh in tennis their ball striking skills could be so much better but in hockey um yeah these days they say you have to you have to be able to fly.
1: my son, when he was six years old, he played hockey for two years. <clears throat> I was, fall was coming. So I said, Hey, we got to get you signed up for hockey. He says, I don't want to play hockey this year. I said, What? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, Why not? And he said to me, Because I don't like to fall down and I don't like to be cold. How old was he? Six. Six. He didn't play hockey that year. He didn't want to play. I didn't make him play, but he played the next year and he's 40 now and he's still playing. So that's great. With, and it is cold.
0: I mean, uh, with, I have so many hockey stories. Here's a great hockey story for you. This doesn't happen in tennis. So I have a brother, Matt. I used to call him Phil. He was actually really nice to me. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I used to you. I have three sets of parents. My two sisters had no problem telling me what to do. And I have two other brothers had no problem telling me what to do. But brother Matt was pretty easy going. So I take his puck and I f- now I can lift the puck, and I, I flip it up over like a six-foot snowbank. And he's got to outweigh me by 100 pounds. And he has me on the ice, bareback, shirt pulled up, rubbing snow in my face, slapping me around a little bit, rubbing snow on my stomach, the pink belly. Those things gone away. And a guy, you know well, Dave Rydell, right?
1: Dave Rydell, yeah, I worked for him.
0: So Dave Rydell skates up, and I go, oh, yes, this man – this nice man is gonna save my life. And he says to my brother, Matt, is on top of me. I, I mean, I was just trying to breathe. And he said to him, Is he your, is he your brother? And Matt goes, Yeah. And he goes, Okay. He <laughs> skates away. He skates away. So I, it's like I I I did live live through that one. But uh yeah, yeah, I've done some dumb things with uh um hockey. But um collision, contact. Non-contact. We have that net, the barrier, Um, with dry land training. You mentioned that. Do you have kids do practices on their own off season, like they do in cross country,
1: or no? Suggest. You know, I mean, always you know give them stuff to do, and that's how you improve off season. You know, work hard. Work, and uh, I always tell the kids, you know, you're playing football, play football. It's great, but you could take time to do, you know, shoot some pucks or do something to get better.
0: Yeah, no. If, if kids are playing another sport, um, even right in the middle when they're playing sports, you know, we give people all these routines to do, and they don't do them. You know, how's it go? Uh, spent my life saying the right things to the wrong people. People can come visit here, and I can ask them fifty questions, fifty questions, and it's not to make them feel bad. You know, are you doing the skip rope routine? Ah, uh, no. Yeah, you're doing the mirror routine. No, you're doing the cone routine. We have a great routine up against a wall where you just have to trace the swing. Uh, you know, you put your racket right against the wall for a forehand volley, backhand volley, power line on the serve, and um, it should be, should be okay. Let's go five minutes on technique and five minutes on the, the physicality. I mean, it'd be nice. Okay, let's jump it up to twelve minutes, fifteen minutes. The Royal Mounted Canadian, police. I think it's seven minutes and eleven minutes, but you, you can do whatever. But you just stand in one place, and we There's can't really seven
1: minutes. Well, yeah, or you know, eleven minutes. Now let me explain, though. Is that it's a long
0: time to yeah. be standing still? No, no, it, no, 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 not standing still. You're in one place. I shouldn't say that right, but we do it where they can't even go a minute. And these people, you know, okay, I'm top ten in my section, and I'm a serious tennis player. And, and can you run in place with your knees going up high for one minute? Uh, they can do that. Say, so you now do a minute of push-ups. And it's not a matter of, we every other one, when we go back to the running because they're not fit enough. And you, so you can go, um, you know, different exercises, but the uh, one minute of push-ups, one minute of squat thrust. The so Canadians were near where we grew up, burpees, uh, same thing, the, the row a boat, you're on your fanny, you bring your knees and your uh, chest together, you just do one minute of it so you can get kids. Okay. Let's do a, you know, 10, 12 minute workout. The shadow swinging, some of that stuff can be done. You know, it's okay. How long does this take? And I tell parents all the time, you're busy, you're coming home from work and get up, set it up in your garage, set up a tripod. We, we, for a long time, we say a long time, a couple of years, we, um, you know, had an idea of daily monitoring program and, um, we wanted the, all these kids, we have a network of coaches. We have coaches all over the world, especially here in the US. And we wanted the older players to be like motivating pen pals. You know, what's a pen pal? You, know, you, you, mm-hmm. you Someone you've never met they're on the other side of the world. You write them a letter, they write you a letter. I think that's gone away. But um, So, okay, become a practice pal. And um, it's free. It's not, It was on an app. And a, a, you know, here's here's at first it was like two, three, four or five minutes of things to do. Then it was different every day. And then we got it streamlined or it was just, okay, it's just two minutes. You just do it every day. Do this. Then we wanted to have the younger kids watch the older kids do it. And then you got to the point where, well, we'll take the push-ups out because their kids are embarrassed because they can't do push-ups. And then it came down. To, we'll just have people shadow swing. We we'll just have people shadow swing efficient swings. And, um, you know, we need to come back to that. People who are listening, we need to do so many things with fundraising. We, we need to come back to that idea. And, you know, peer teaching where the, in our world, the 18s pull the 16s, 16s pull the 14s, uh, 14s pull the 12s. I mean, we had a group of eight players here and I asked the oldest player who was in the group, um, others, two 17 year olds, but one I've known the longest. And, you know, we're in an emerging camp and you know, just three, four days, and I said, "What's this girl's name?" Didn't know. Oh, he's shy. He's so he's so shy. Okay, you know, he. Oh, that, you, know. No, you, you know, How can you be a leader? You don't even know the kids' names. And then we're doing video work, where I want the kids not to not only know their name, and then you get them on their toes. They can do it. So, okay, what did what does this person have to work on in their serve? What does this person have to work on in their forehand? And they have the intelligence to do it, but they're just uh, they're not challenged. They're, it's, they're comfort zoned out. they're comfort zoned out with
1: uh,
0: Costello, let's wrap this thing up here.
1: It's about time,
0: Smith. Smith, Smith Smith. Uh, just went to the bathroom, took a Smith with um, let's go uh, Margie Costello, Helen Smith, our mothers. Tell us a Margie Costello story that will help tennis coaches.
1: Oh, man, well, you I, are the I, perfect child. I, so I, maybe, maybe I got, a great, maybe I got a great story, but I don't know if I'll help uh, tennis tennis people or coaches or anything. It's so the time my brother got uh, five Fs, and uh, he'd been done well all school year. As the final marking period, he got uh, five Fs, no explanation. Never heard it. You know, my mother didn't know why. She, report card came in the mail. She grabbed that, saw that thing. She grabbed it. We lived up on what was called Depot Hill. The train station was down below the hill. She walked down that hill across the tracks. Instead of going up the hill, uh, the street, she turned, went across lot, went through two people's houses, crossed a little creek, and went up a little hill to the school, went into the principal's office, and slammed that report card down on the on the his desk and said i want all my kids to go to green street school next year he didn't want us in that school so anyway she's a fierce fierce uh mother bear let me tell you that mother bear i would
0: never have known that seems so easygoing yeah. with uh so many points to the story though is that uh, she was informed too late wasn't told
1: exactly yeah she never knew anything about it and if she had known something could have been done about it yeah, she was not a happy camper. With, uh,
0: I came home one time from school and and uh, you know my mother looked at my schedule and she said, "You don't have Latin." I said, "Yeah, it's great. I got Spanish. It's supposed to be easier." And they needed ten kids to sign up for Latin. And my mother wasn't really the type to, uh, you know, be a busybody and knock on doors and whatever. But she uh, got on the phone and. You know, there, there had been a few people who signed up, but they had I think, have 10. And, and so next thing you know is, uh, I was taking Latin with a few other students, <laughs> super abimus it was, it was supposed to help me out. I don't think it really helped me out with, uh, um, yeah, hockey and tennis, the parallels, you know, they're different sports. Um, Bjorn Borg, uh, we were talking earlier about ego. And uh, I told people, I told I've said this in a long time, but when you mentioned someone's ego where they really claim to be associated with some really good players. And I said, well, I used to tell people I got help Bjorn Borg get where he was going because one year I was at Boca West, a place where he was practicing. I get this tap on the shoulder. I was in a little crowded areas. And it was Borg tapping on my shoulder. And he said, excuse me. So I got out of the way and he got where he was going. So I said, yeah, that year I was, it made a difference in Borg's, uh, his path to success with, uh, um, but Borg, Hockey player, Lendl hockey player. Um, you know, Tyriak uh, played for the Romanian Olympic team. And um Drobny played hockey, who I mentioned earlier from the Czech from Czechoslovakia, um, won Wimbledon. The uh, you know, I'm pretty biased about hockey, but you know, so Tiriak played for the Romanian Olympic team. He used to say, I'm mean, the best tennis player in the world who's not a tennis player. But the one thing about hockey is it challenges you with your feet like soccer, but also challenges you with your hands. And the other thing too, as far as positional play and such, I mean, it's uh, there's some thought required, some, some spontaneous uh, quick action reaction. Yeah. yeah. Timing, but also people can knock your head off. You know, you know, you're just told, you know, someone's, is someone's skating with their head down, let them know uh, they can't do that. And, um, you know, there's good, clean checking. There's good, clean checking. No, I did get hockey, as you mentioned, it's changed. I mean, it did get to a point where it was turning a little bit like roller derby back in the 70s.
1: Yeah, it was. It's far a long ways from that now with the skill that they have.
0: You you and I have one difference is uh, you like the Boston Bruins and I don't. I uh, think the Bostonians—they uh, certainly have great missionary zeal. It's like the Texans, you know. The Texans—they think Texas is the greatest place in the world. Bostonians—they think Boston, greatest place in the world. Um, we had a few Bostonians who ended up in our small town, and they—they uh, uh, they weren't in my top ten list. With uh, but with Boston, um, I may not have liked the Boston Bruins. Because at that time, I, I loved the Canadians. I did. It was like a change religions when I spent time living in Toronto. But Bobby Orr. We'll end with Bobby Orr. Uh, tell me one thing that comes to
1: your mind when you think of Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr is the best ever. I know a lot of people think Wayne Gretzky was. But uh, the old saying that I got is Bobby five Bobby Orrs would beat five Gretzkys every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
0: think my brother actually uh, wrote an article that was published on that. Um, because he could fight, he could block shots, he could score. He was absolutely so fast. Um, my, uh, former wife, uh, he had, you know, you know, both my boys, um, Connor, um, I wanted his middle name to be, or Connor or Smith, uh, that didn't get approved though with, uh, Listeners, Bobby Orr is a fantastic hockey player. I was taken to meet Bobby Orr. That would be like a young kid being take, taken to meet Roger Federer. I was at a hockey school in Toronto. Bobby Orr is from Parry Sound, Ontario. I'm taken to where he's running a hockey school in his hometown. And Bobby Orr spends all his time with us. And I mean, he was only 19. I was 13. And he was at 19 like, this is, this is the guy. And Bobby said, you bring your skates. And I didn't bring my skates. I left him at the hockey school. And he said, oh, next time. There there wasn't the next time, but that's where, can you imagine some kid, Roger Fetter says, you, you want to hit some balls? And he says, no. Um, but why would, you know, you know, the greatest of all time, I heard, you know, hockey mind, uh, maybe a philosopher, a writer, author, uh, a scholar, a lawyer, uh, Ivy League graduate, go on and on. Uh, you know, he went to McGill as well. Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden. And the uh, curse
1: of the Bruins
0: with great goaltender. I remember watching him play in Cornell at Cornell um, with Ken Dryden. I think for our listeners, this is the greatest of all time. A lot of people. Um, he said when people are the most enthusiastic about their sport, you know, so when they're young kids and they're, you know, just really on fire about, about their sport. You know, that's like, those, these are the greatest players of all time. But I think that that's actually a little bit of a problem. Uh, but with Bobby Orr, you know, I always tell people when we're talking about the greatest of all time, I said people would never, you know, and we're going over 50 years ago since Bobby Orr played, basically. He had to end his career with his bad knees. But people in, in hockey would not say Bobby Orr could not play in today's game. I remember spending time with Rod Laver, and I had met him several times, but I just, I really was punch drunk from exhaustion. I'd been doing this clinic in El Paso, and I'm traveling back, or I'm traveling to the U.S. Open, and he was going to the U.S. Open. So I just sit I, I just walk next to him, and I go, Rod Laver, and you know, I would have through Braden, you know, treat the famous like they're not, and the not famous like they are, and I, I would have just not, you know, engaged in conversation, leave them alone, let him have some private time. But again, I was so exhausted and I had the shoulder bag and I had tapes of Rod Laver in the shoulder bag. I would just been training coaches in El Paso. And uh, I thought I had two hours, but I hadn't changed my clock from Texas time, you know, Central time to ETA, Eastern time. So I just plopped down and uh, the uh, Rod Laver, and he's so humble, like Bobby Orr, and like Pelluccio, our listeners. Bobby Orr, ISTP, Rod Laver, ISTP. And um, he said, I couldn't play in today's game. And I said, have you ever been on YouTube? He goes, no, this is, this is how long ago He says, um, I got a nephew. I said, you need to go to YouTube. Watch you and uh, Jimbo. Jimmy Connors, 1975 Caesars Palace. Watch that match. Connors, it was a little, little bit of altitude in Las Vegas. Connors wanted ten- and the tenant and Rod Laver, who's... Really had been retired for six months. Uh, he's wanted wanted the tennis ball cans open. I think it was three days, two or three days beforehand, because that would slow the balls down. So they'd come right out of a new pressurized can. And uh, it's an amazing tennis match. So I do think that that's the big difference between one big difference of many hockey players and tennis players, hockey people and tennis people. I think hockey people have a respect for the for the past players much more than tennis. I know that with Federer, he has a Labor Cup, and one of the he wants to pay tribute to Rod Laver and the other players that went before him and others. But uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing when you think that many years ago. Um, like say a Connors, um, if you're up close and personal and you watch people like that play is that the level of play that he had, the equipment's really changed. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Connors um, playing at UCLA as a freshman, I think it was 1970, he'd do okay today, no problem. And, uh, you know, it just comes down to skills, it comes down to skills. It, I think of it in, in every sport. Um, the, um, but anyway, some differences between hockey and tennis, some similarities You know, I, I really think this way and I, um, you know, coming from a different sport, coming from ice hockey has really helped me in tennis. I mean, I'd change my act. (laughs) I had to change my language. Um, it's, 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 you know, uh, but you know, last week we talked about Lombardi and, uh, one of our students, uh, former trainees mike larscheid he's from green bay and he listened to the podcast and after the podcast or during the podcast during that week of the podcast he was at home for his mother's funeral and our listeners with larscheid he's the one who said about the great base the curriculum have is just think of it as print cursive which is going away but print cursive and autograph and what people need to first do you know, you could think of uh, Roger and Rafa. They both, their first names both begin with R. And when they sign their autograph, can you tell it's an R? Their signature. But if you go back to print and then you go back to the next step would be cursive. And then it's autograph. But when people are studying tennis, it's like they're just looking at YouTube clips. They're looking at highlight reels and they're just looking at someone's signature. And they don't know the basics. They don't, they don't know the shape of the letter R. People don't know the shape of the swing on the forehand. They don't know the shape of the tennis court. And if people were to study Lombardi and they think about just studying other sports, um, the Soviets, you know, as an athlete, they wanted you to be the master of two sports. I'm telling, I'm telling tennis kids now all the time, play basketball. It's easy to play basketball. Not that expensive. You don't have to go out and shoot. You know, you don't have to be in a game, but go out and develop basketball skills. Can you dribble backwards? Can you hop on one foot going backwards in and out of cones? Can you do it right hand, left hand? Go to YouTube and just look for basketball drills. You tell kids to do that. And I think another thing too, where we started with is I know that our parents would have called the TV an idiot box because all these great sitcoms and, you know, now you and I, those sitcoms are on YouTube. You go back and look at those. And, um, so much wasted time, uh, you know, so much time where you could be practicing, you could be practicing and then, you
1: know, you know, what, what, instead of watching it, do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. With,
0: uh, go outside. But, you know, one of the reasons for parents (laughs) listening to the parents years ago, like your mother would have said, my mother would have said, go outside, go outside and play
1: your mother. So when she was sick and tired of kids in the house, I'm sure you remember, she would say, you know, we'd be in there, you know, making noise in the living room, driving her crazy. So she'd say, well, boys, I'm going to clean the house. Anybody doesn't want to help should go outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> we were gone in an instant, and she was relieved that last time that door slammed shut, she had peace and quiet. And I know
0: I've met so many parents and again, wonderful parents. uh, So many parents I've learned from, um, can't do this year round with the place where we grew up. You can always shovel snow. But, um, if the kid complained, they had to go get one of those little plastic bags from the grocery store and go fill it with weeds. Complain one time. (laughs) That is like, Whoa. With, um, but anyway, I think the idiot box, um, you know, when you and I were kids, three channels. And if it was... Uh, it went
1: off at, new, at midnight, it was gone.
0: Yeah, you turn, you could turn it on a certain time of the day, it would just be a test pattern. But now kids are walking around, they, get a, they got the idiot box in their pocket. Instead of three, I know I, I've heard people say there's 900 TV outlets, but with the choices on a, a cell phone, it's endless. And kids need to come home, and this would take... Uh, you know, parents would just... You know, I tell parents all the time, when your kid gets home, okay, they have a, tel- a cell phone so they can call you and they need to be picked up if there's an emergency, what have you. Certain type of communication needs to take, take place. But when they come home, put their phone on the kitchen counter and that's it. You know, of course now they can, well, they can do the same thing on their iPad or the same thing on their computer. And, and Coach K, who recently retired, the basketball coach from uh, Duke, says that, you know, today the kids are bigger, stronger, faster in nutrition and fitness training and such, but they're not as tough. There's not as tough. And they also, he says, they're not as athletic. They're not as coordinated um, with, but you know, I think also too, is that um, like Wayne Bryan, the father of the Bryan brothers, you know, in many ways, okay, positives to it. He wrote this uh, letter on player development that he didn't think other people would see. He sent it to a friend and as the story goes that it became viral, it became public. And with, you know, he praises the private sector of coaching, you know, and there were some, you know, questions about what's the federation doing the governing body of tennis. But there's many levels to that private sector. And I tell people, gee, you just have to go watch a high school match. And, um, but that's where I guess one last question I would have is that, in, in hot in tennis, I don't think there's enough of a community where there are in other countries where the coaches are pulling for each other. You know, and if it's not that different where you, you trained at this academy, then you go to this academy. But here in the U.S., it would be great, great to be an American, great to live in the U.S. of A., but too much self-promotion. Our program is the best. You know, you, you've got it. This is why our program is better than that program. I mean, there's so many co- coaches that I've trained that they don't tell people that i train them you know we call them ghost followers is, is then you know but the information they have they receive through me just goes deep and deep through all these coaches from the past but the community is there, do you think there's a good sense of community in in hockey where the the coaches communicate with each other they share ideas
1: yeah that's a lot that's they're very open i i mean i used to go to uh talk to you know, the, the Colgate University coach about, you know, some of the new ideas he'd uh, have. And he's always very happy to let, you know. Vaughn. Bon. Donnie Vaughn, yeah. Don, just, Vaughn retired. just retired. Yeah, yeah he was know. there forever. Yeah, yeah. Nice. High school hockey's the same way. I mean, I was friends with all but one coach. <laughs> but that was just because he was, you know, <laughs> I could say it, but I'd get beeped, bleeped. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's <laughs> the all. word that penetrates
0: glass. <laughs> you, if you can read lips, I mean, <laughs> uh, my oldest brother came back, Mike, you know him. He came back to grad school at our house. Uh, you know, you knew both my aunts had said the rosary all day, but with, uh, you saw you say, my Aunt Ronnie saved your Aunt, life.
1: Aunt Ronnie saved my life because she prayed for me
0: every day. Yeah, I remember introducing you. This is my friend, Mark House, so you need to pray for her. You must've been, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the word went from jerk to soul. that word penetrate class, but community, I do think in tennis coaches are very open to share drills, but what they do is uh, I say they, not like everyone, but a, a vast majority of tennis coaches, um, all pretentious to the point. Well, we all know basics could be anything further from the truth. Oh yeah, I like that drill. Oh, I like that drill. And, you know, you go to coaches' conferences; they don't really talk about strokes. And now YouTube, so Vic Braden, so much bad information is going out so fast. I think YouTube is, and I, you know, some people say, well, maybe not. You know, you know, yoga or fitness, exercise exercises for your feet or explosiveness. But listeners, uh, YouTube is no place to go to learn how to hit a tennis ball. It's just like ah, uh, just. You know, how can they be making this stuff up? Um, come back to my old man, though, is that, you know, the cream comes with the top, so it's bullshit if you stir it. I love that. Denzel Washington,
1: you get better at everything you practice, even bullshit. I told my father once. He said, you can't bullshit no bullshitter. And I said, you can't bullshit no bullshitter, son. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So anyway, with this podcast, we're over with the BS session. I hope you got something that uh, will help you help your students if you're a teacher or coach, your parents going to help your child. Um with uh hockey though it does have a tendency I've heard this
1: before it brings the worst out in people. The parents for sure, the parents. The parents they yeah. are there. They're, they're you'd be amazed how stupid they, <laughs> they can act <laughs> at a game
0: with yeah. uh well it, it's one thing about tennis is that quiet, please. You know in, in hockey you don't have to be quiet <laughs> with uh emotions flow emotions flow and uh with uh yeah i think that um if someone goes to a football game i mean there's no one saying quiet please in a tennis match say it's an odd game and you want to enter the stadium i mean it's an even game you have to wait till it's an odd game and so you have to wait for you know you go for refreshments you have to wait for two games to go back to your seat and uh you know the F word again, no F And wait, does that happen in hockey. I'm going to go sit down. I'm going to sit down right now with uh, the, um, keep your eye on the puck. If you go to a game and you're in the stands, keep your eye on the puck um, because the puck leaves the ice. And uh, anyway, um, so many things in hockey when you're, the, the, the way they chant, you know, <laughs> we want you to get the, out of your, defensive zone they want you to get the puck out get the, the puck, puck out. out get the puck out and uh, certainly um you and i've probably been told that before get the f out lots right way. costello he's here helping us at wintergreen we have a nice place to stay and he's pounding some nails straight it's great to have him here and one thing the listeners should know is on a weekly basis i send him a text message and i'm just i send that text message with some off-the-wall comment that he's going to say F you Smith and he'll follow it by that word that penetrates glass. It just makes me smile. And actually that comes back to the locker room that doesn't exist in tennis where the Jimmy Rogers is on our podcast, the Canadian boy from Winnipeg, the chirping, the criticism. I tell kids all the time, um, when you're complimented, um, mm-hmm. just say thank you, but you, you have to thrive on criticism. That's your juice. Um, yeah, had a football football player, Michigan in college, and Cincinnati in the pros. Started eleven years. He played at Michigan, so I have a son going to Ohio State, and said, "All right, have you any advice for this for this young guy?" He goes, "Yeah," and that's where I got it from. Every time someone gives you a compliment, just say thank you. Um, but uh, no, no, you have it reversed. So when they say they give you a compliment, he said just pretend they're they're taking a Smith in your. Your, your lunch bucket. And uh, so, with a compliment, it's like, okay, yeah, thank you. Just be polite, but just get that image in your mind. Go, really? What's this? My son looked at him like he was crazy. But when someone criticizes you, put a smile on your face. Put your smile on your face. And, you know, uh, I, these kids in tennis, they turn 17, 18, and then they're unwanted, uninvited. No one's recruiting them. But, you know you start telling them that message when they're 10 you know if you're not doing this this is what's going to happen you, you know and i think that's one thing about being from a big family is that then if people know okay my brothers and my sisters okay what what did they experience now now families are so small um but anyway hockey 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 costello thank you thank you thank you thank wave, you wave to the camera costello you're so handsome that's a wrap